I first of all spoke to somebody who was very sceptical about whether I had mental health issues uh, because I'm uh, quite eloquent, I guess. Because I can talk about my issues, they think I haven't got those issues, which is a bit weird. I persevered because I'm sick of that shit. And they finally put me on to their boss. And their boss was the first time I've ever had a really properly useful conversation with a mental health professional where she actually took me seriously. Hello, I'm Dave. I'm the guy that's putting all this stuff together. I need to get better. Please make me better. I want to get better. Better. Better acquainted with you. Today, we're getting better acquainted with me, or more specifically, with my mental health. It's a Getting Better Acquainted Extra featuring a story that I told at a fundraiser for Mind in Haringey that Spark London ran in November 2016, which was around the theme of creative minds, in which people told stories about the relationship between creativity and mental health, not really in that kind of cliched way of all creative people have mental health issues, but much more about how, if you have mental health issues, creativity can be a form of therapy, a way to make sense of those issues. And that's a a theme very, very close to my heart because a lot of the art that I make these days is about that sort of thing, about trying to make sense of my, my own mental health issues and try to understand them in a wider context within the world. So without any further ado, here is that story. And then after that story, I'll be back to kind of give an update about where I am in February 2017 and how I feel about all of these things now. So please go wild for Dave Pickering, ladies and gentlemen. So growing up, I always kind of admired tortured artists, I guess. Uh, And I kind of wanted to be a tortured artist. I kind of considered myself to be a tortured artist. And that kind of meant that I didn't really pay attention to the fact that I had mental health issues because I just thought that was something that artists did. They had, they suffered. Uh, I didn't really think of myself as someone who had mental health issues. But one of the things I've learned as I've got older is that uh, mental health issues don't really help you to make art necessarily. All of those artists that I loved growing up would have made so much more art if they'd have got more help for their for their mental health conditions. Um, and also, I now make art, I am an artist, I guess, as a, a, a professional one, which means I don't get paid any money. Uh, and what that's taught me about creativity and art is that uh, it doesn't always help your mental health. Like when you've got no money and tight deadlines and your computer crashes like it did yesterday and you lose everything you've been editing that day, uh, that isn't good if you you've already got pre-existing mental health issues. Um, So I I, I have a complicated relationship with the idea of creativity and with minds, but I do do have a mind uh, and I am creative. Um, So I I made a show about my mental health uh, issues, uh, about lots of other things as well, but uh, one of the things that it was about was about uh, the fact that over time I've come to realise that I have uh, anxiety and depression. Uh, That's a self-diagnosis, I guess. Uh, So uh, I made that show 
show and I, I, I really thought for a long time about, about myself, about the things that gave me these mental health issues and the, uh, the way that they're inherited from the rest of my family. Um, and I sort of put this into this show and I took it to the Edinburgh Festival and I did it loads and loads of times. Uh, and so I really felt like I understood my, my, my mental health, I guess. I was at the start of understanding my mental health. But the thing is, I didn't have an official diagnosis. I've told stories at the last two Spark Mind events uh, and that's been as a kind of lay person. I didn't have a diagnosis. I just thought that I had mental health issues. Um, but this, earlier this year, I decided it was time to get some actual talking therapy. I mean, to try and get some actual talking therapy because if any of you have tried to get uh, talking therapy, you'll know it's really, really, really hard. Uh, in fact, it was about like longer, longer than this year, like five years ago or six years ago, I first sought help from the NHS and they gave me uh, a few weeks of uh, cognitive behavioural therapy uh, and that was like the carrot to get me in and I was like, if I last this, this, this CBT out, they'll give me talking therapy and my therapist agreed I should have talking therapy and I was excited about that and then I got a phone call saying that because of the cuts, they were prioritising people who had uh, more kind of like life-threatening mental health issues and so I was kind of back to square one and that was okay for a bit because I do a, an in-conversation podcast so I was having regular conversations all the time with people about their mental health, about my mental health and that helped me to get some perspective and to understand uh, that I've got anxiety and depression but again uh, not officially at that point. Uh, so earlier this year I went to the doctor and I again I've asked every time I've gone to the doctor I've asked her for help and every time I've gone to the doctor she's not given me help uh, but this time she gave me a phone number uh, and so I rung that phone number and I finally I, I, well, I first of all spoke to somebody who was very sceptical about whether I had mental health issues uh, because I'm uh, quite eloquent I guess uh, I guess that makes people think that I'm because I can talk about my issues they think I haven't got those issues which is a bit weird uh, but that was the initial whack in my face on that but I, I persevered because I'm sick of that shit uh, and so I sort of like said no 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 I have got mental health issues honestly I have and they finally put me on to their boss and their boss was the first time I've ever had a really properly useful conversation with a mental health professional where she actually took me seriously and she listened to me and I talked to her for about half an hour to 45 minutes and convinced her over that half an hour to 45 minutes uh, that I did have mental health issues. I talked about the traumas in my childhood and the ways that my life is completely fucked by the fact that I have depression and anxiety and she believed me. So I thought yes this is great. Things are starting to happen. Um, and then I waited a very 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 long time for anything further to happen uh, but finally I was told that it was time for me to go and be assessed uh, properly by a mental health uh, per, uh, professional so uh, I left my house I was walking uh, from Leytonstone where I live to Walthamstow which is not very far um, and I was playing Pokemon Go like any uh, normal person and uh, I was kind of like walking to this appointment uh, catching Pokemon in a very distressed distracted and nervy way uh, because I knew that this person I was going to see was like the gatekeeper for if I could get into the land of madness or not. 
Uh, so I kind of like went there and I got to the building I was supposed to be in and immediately I was like, why do they design places where people with mental health issues go in the way that makes them feel like horrible, horrible prisons that you don't want to go into? Uh, you know, so I, w- I was already kind of feeling like the institution kind of creeping around me as I kind of went into the building. And when I got to the reception, there was nobody at the reception desk and I kind of like knocked on the window for ages uh, and then they kind of like said to me have you got an appointment and I was like yes and they were surprised uh, that I had an appointment and they didn't they, they hadn't known I was coming which was a bit awkward uh, and they gave me a form to fill in which I, and this is the thing at this point I would like to make a uh, make the case that I found this incredibly difficult right and I speak English as a first language and I am a middle class person so I have the language of, 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 of getting by I can use the right words and grease the wheels of social situations and I'm white and I'm a man and all of these things right and I found it incredibly hard like so many times I was like just hit with different barriers in this process that would have nearly made me turn and leave and I'm sure that loads of people do turn and leave so every time I was hit by one of these barriers whilst it frustrated me it also made me really aware of how many people our mental health services let down but I finally kind of got into the room and with with this man who was going to make the decision of whether I was mad or not and, and I sat there and I kind of breathed in because as I said I've done a show about it I can tell him my lived experience at length, right? I can say whole lines from this show to explain how I feel. So I was ready. I knew I could convince him. And I started to do that to make my case for my madness. And he said, whoa, 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 stop. Don't, 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 don't. I don't want to hear about all that stuff. I don't want to hear about your personal traumas. I don't want to hear about your uh, lived experience of anxiety and depression. I've got a checklist, mate. I've got a checklist and I've got to go through this checklist and the first thing I need to know is about your bowels. Uh, how are your bowels? And that threw me, I've got to say. Um, and then I kind of like half told him my, my, my story that I wanted to tell him and I half answered his questions and it was kind of like a, a back and forth uh, with me getting more and more annoyed with him about different things he was kind of saying and him getting a little bit worried that I was getting anxious and kind of like panicky which I guess was a good thing for me because uh, it did convince him of, of that side of my diagnosis. Um, and so after talking to him uh, for a while uh, I left that, uh, that experience feeling absolutely drained and confused and like hang on I could talk about my mental health and I've literally gone in to talk to someone who's an expert in that stuff and come out feeling like I can't talk about it anymore like I can't I haven't got the words anymore and I looked down at my phone and it ran out of battery so I didn't even have Pokemon Go to help me on the way home Uh, and when I went home and then I waited uh, for a long time, for a number of weeks, uh, for it to go to the panel to, of people who weren't in that room to judge whether what happened in that room was, was made me validly m- mad or not. And eventually, uh, I got a letter in the post uh, that had, didn't, doesn't say very much. It says my name, it says problems, anxi- anxiety disorder, and referral to psychology panel. So I got another reference to another panel. Uh, so the panel decided to refer me to another panel. Uh, so basically, at this point, I have an official diagnosis, everybody. Uh, I have anxiety disorder. 
But I don't agree with this diagnosis. It is not my diagnosis. My diagnosis is that I have anxiety and depression, uh, but that uh, mental health in, uh, person, professional, did not believe that I have depression because I only exhibited anxiety in the meeting with him. Uh, but I tell you what, I was really depressed after I left that office. But yeah, that's my official diagnosis. But that diagnosis, like I got that before in the summer and I am still waiting to get any kind of like actual talking therapy and I've had to fill in a load more forms send them off get them back all of these obstacles to stop a person with mental health issues sitting in a room and talking to somebody who has some insight into mental health issues why are there so many obstacles I really really don't know but now I have a diagnosis I have no therapy uh, and the diagnosis is wrong and that's the end of my story. Hooray! So I had a diagnosis and I was still waiting for therapy and I waited and I waited and I waited some more. I sent off a letter to the new part of the NHS that I was now being referred to from a different part uh, and uh, I waited for a response to that letter is coming up for spring now and I've not received any response. As people who heard the New Year's special will know, this year my plan was to get therapy in a different way, not through the NHS. A friend of mine had offered to pay for me to have a short course of therapy and I decided after much kind of umming and ahhing and thinking about how I felt about the idea of somebody else paying for me and if I thought he could afford to do it and how I felt about the whole thing, I decided to take him up on that offer. And in order to do that, I arranged a assessment with a private therapist, the private therapist from the organisation that my friend was using and that my friend recommended and that my friend was offering to pay for. That assessment was the complete opposite of my experience being assessed by the NHS. The therapist office was much more welcoming and inviting, at least inside. And the therapist that I spoke to began by asking me what my story was, which really, really surprised me, actually, because of how the NHS assessment process had been this time I was asked exactly the question that I wanted to answer and I told my story uh, my experiences my my lived experience to that therapist and it was strange for me because I'm so used to telling the story that it's actually quite hard for me to know where to start and and what parts of that story to tell. And I knew that I only had an hour and we talked for that hour and he asked me questions and I responded to those questions and we talked about the kinds of therapy that I might get. He thought that the kinds of therapy that would be relevant for me would either be one-on-one -on -one therapy or group therapy. And it was great. It was great to talk to him. I discovered during that conversation that a short course of therapy was not something that they would recommend to me. It was long-term therapy that they felt that I needed and also that the price of the therapy was going to be more than my friend had anticipated. And so I knew that I wouldn't be able to just 
be paid for by him. I'd have to find the money myself. And the money is not money that I can find. It's not money that I can guarantee that I will have. That's the thing. It wouldn't be that much money for somebody who had a secure job and was in a different situation to me. But even the unpaid, uh, no job price that they give for therapy there, which is absolutely what they should do. And I I like that organization a lot. It is still too much for me. And if it's too much for me, it's too much for many, many other people, because I certainly am not the worst off in this country. There are many people worse off than me. It's interesting to realize that I'm at the line. I'm around the line, the cutoff point. And to think about how many people are on the other side of that line and how many people are on the, the positive side of that line, how many people can afford therapy and what, what that inequality means for our mental health services and the people who use them. That said, money wasn't the only thing that made me decide not to get therapy after finally having it there having knowing what it would be like having met actually a good therapist a therapist that I thought at least in my view was a good therapist and having exactly what I'd been trying to get for so long like it and when you get what you what you want you feel like you should take it because you've been fighting so hard for it and especially with mental health services as I've said frequently in this episode they're not something that everyone can get and I guess I could have afforded it because I could have asked for money I could have asked family for money I could have asked friends for money I could have done a GoFundMe I could have done all sorts of things that people do in order to pay for things that they can't quite afford particularly people who have access to the middle class incomes of my friends or my family there were options for me there are options for me but I chose not to take therapy in this case because I realized a couple of things before going into that that therapy appointment I'd already been thinking very hard about how sure a lot of our mental health issues are within ourselves they might be biological or they might be through our traumatic experiences that we may have had in our lives or you know whatever it is our genes or our upbringing it doesn't matter a lot of the the reasons why we have mental health issues are within ourselves that is undeniably true but I also think so many of them come from the outside like when I was bullied at school the depression and the anxiety that I had then which I didn't know to call that was not necessarily from within me it was coming from without it was an understandable reaction to the experience that I was having in fact the same goes for my for for, for all traumatic experiences to a certain extent it's it's not an unreasonable response to have it's not something that we necessarily need to solve in ourselves it's maybe the outside world that is causing us to have these effects that we need to find some way of solving and that's a big thing to solve so it's much easier to work on ourselves And for many people, you know, the things that they might need might be medication, but it might be, you know, an end to racism or an end to sexism or access to a home or access to uh, whatever they need. It's kind of false, I think, to think of mental health as being something 
just about people's internal kind of way of thinking about themselves. I don't think that we can necessarily solve everything by looking at ourselves. So I've been thinking a lot about that and I've been thinking a lot about how I do have the resources. I know how to manage my mental health, but my life options don't give me the opportunity to manage it in that way as much as I'd like. So in the last couple of years, my mental health has has certainly been much worse than it was before that. And that's because I've been precariously living. I've been a freelancer. And so I can't do the things all the time that I know will make me have a, a healthier mental health. Um, I mean, a healthier health, it's, it's all a complicated thing. You know, I don't always think that every state of being is necessarily should be pathologized. I mean, I'm not, I don't use the phrase mental illness, uh, and I don't judge people who do. I mean, I think there's lots of ways of looking at these things and it's complicated, but still, I think pathologizing it as a kind of illness kind of lets society really off the hook. So that's the thing. I'm in a circumstance where it's quite hard for me to manage my mental health, but through my own therapeutic kind of journey uh, through doing this podcast in many ways through doing a, a solo show about masculinity through kind of thinking and processing what it is to have anxiety and depression I've got the knowledge the ability to manage my mental health well but life is not really offering me that it's not just my precarious employment it's also the state of the world as a whole you know I mean I think we can look at kind of societies or global societies as having kind of collective mental health problems to deal with you know let's face it we have a a fascism rising and we have to kind of collectively come up with ways to manage that within our society to reduce that to uh, to take that out of our collective equation. And so I was thinking about all of those kind of things going in. I was also thinking about how really one of the things that would be much better for me if I do have to find an hour every week to go and go to go out of the house and to see somebody and to talk that maybe for me it might be better to make that time for my friends because when I see my friends and when I when I have conversations with people who understand me who know me I always feel better afterwards but I find it really hard to timetable that stuff and the idea of timetabling religiously an hour with a stranger when I'm not managing to see friends who I know uh, make me feel better and can give me perspectives that I find valuable about myself and about the world. It seemed a mistake really to to, to waste that time on, on a stranger for me. And I, and I understand that everybody needs different things out of the world and out of mental health services. And this is not me saying I don't think therapy works. In fact, I, I think I know many people it's worked for and I think it could very well work for me. But that was the other part of it, that I'm just a very awkward person and even though I really liked that man who did my therapy assessment, it was really clear to me that if I'm going to have a therapist, it's got to be a really specific therapist. It's got to be the therapist that works for me, that fits for me. And even when you're paying for it, it's still going to be hard to find the right person for you. And I had to sort of consider, do I have time to shop around? You know, it's it's not a, it's, it's a, it's a lot 
of things I want in a therapist. And basically it's very hard for me to imagine having a therapist who I didn't agree with. Uh, and I, I don't really agree with very many people. My, my analysis of society, uh, and, uh, uh, is, is very specific. So, you know, when, when talking to this therapist, I could see that he had slightly different ideas to me about gender, about capitalism, about all of these kinds of things. And I, I didn't want to be spending time in my therapy appointments trying to convince a therapist to see the world as I see it, which to me is the way the world is. Like, if you tell me that capitalism's good or that uh, patriarchy doesn't exist or that gender is actually binary or whatever, that those are things that they're just, that's just not true. That's just not true. And I, I can't construct defences for my mental health with somebody who can't see the world for what it is. And I, I recognise that that's my view on the world, that there are many other views on the world available, and I accept that I may very well be wrong. But the thing is that it doesn't matter if I am wrong. I need to find a therapist who is also wrong because then I can just get on with actually doing the work and not have to be constantly defining the terms. And I know those kind of therapists are out there. I know that they're, that whilst I feel like I am uh, never understood in the world, I mean, I have many people that I know who I agree with on many things. And I know I could find a therapist that I clicked with, but it just seemed like for me, that would be a waste of my time. And also not just a waste of my time, time I don't actually have. And that if I, find myself in a situation with a lot more money in the future and the world is in a different place and I can have the time to find a, a therapist, then I certainly will be looking for one. But at this moment, and it's always hard to make these judgment calls because maybe I'm just not feeling as bad at the moment. So, you know, there is always a danger of 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 making decisions based on the more well me, the less depressed, the less anxious me, that future me who is depressed and anxious will regret or not even regret because, you know, when you're depressed or when you're super anxious, you're not in a place that you can really think about regret. But is the decision I'm making now right for the, the, the me I'm going to be in the future? And I've thought about this long and hard. I've talked about it a lot with my partner who has a, a unique insight into the, my cycles of anxiety and depression that not very many other people have. And I've talked to friends about it and I've thought about it a lot. And, you know, I think this is the right call for now. Certainly, I don't have the money. I don't feel like I'm at a point where I'm desperate enough to try and get money off my family and friends in order to, to look after me. I mean, I feel like there may be moments in my life in the future where I get to that point. And if I do, then I will absolutely ask for help because I, one thing I've learned in about mental health is that, you know, asking for help is a hard thing to do. It's super hard to be vulnerable and tell people that you're scared and to tell people that you don't uh, know what to do and that you need them to help you. It's so hard to do that, but you'd be surprised how many times when you do do that, uh, people give you that help. That's what I always say at Spark events when something comes up that touches on mental health. I, I say, you know, obviously seek help from organisations that offer help, but also, you know, 
you'd be surprised how often asking for help works. And so I'm prepared to ask for help and I do ask for help. It's just at this moment in time, I don't think therapy is what I need to be doing. I feel like I need to be making more stuff, like making more art, making more stories. And I feel like I need to be doing more politically, whatever that means, whether that is political activism through my art, whether that's going on marches, whether that's reaching out to people who I don't agree with and trying to convince them round to at least some parts of my way of thinking. Because the thing is, things are moving so far to the right that there are many more allies uh, for everyone because uh, things are becoming so extreme, uh, not just in the US, uh, also in this country. I mean, this is being recorded in the week where we have decided to not honour taking child refugees that we, we, we said that we would take and we've only taken 350 and now uh, our government is saying and our parliament is saying no, uh, no more. We don't want to do that. And that is the world that, that this monologue is happening in. That's the, the world that me seeking therapy is in. And it's it's not that I don't think that people should get therapy in this dark time. I think they absolutely should. Many, many people should. And I don't want to suggest that you should follow my lead and, and, and not uh, get therapy and not reach out and get mental health services. This time more than ever is the time that they're going to need that help. Although they're going to tr be trying to get that help from a, a very damaged and, and pretty much almost dead NHS. And they're going to be trying to get that help in a society that has these kind of negative views all around it from in, in all ways, a stigma around pretty much every part of being a human being uh, is out there. And so in a way, even more so for those reasons, I want to be focusing my efforts because I have a lot of privilege because I am a coper, whatever that means. And because I have already assessed my mental health through many processes and have come up with some tactics to reduce the effect of them. I feel like I should definitely be putting my efforts towards trying to do something with this muddled world. And, and don't get me wrong, I have no hope for the world. But the thing is, it doesn't matter if you have hope if you can see exactly how things could work out better you can't deny there's always a chance there's always a chance that we can improve things a little bit or a lot that even though we're in sort of environmental catastrophe and global inequality of a, of a horrific scale and and all sorts of wars are happening and all of these things there's always a chance it's less hope like, I expect things to go badly, but I don't consider myself to be certain enough to ever discount a chance that things could be different. And so I'm going to I'm going to pursue that chance as much as possible. And when not pursuing that chance, I'm going to make sure that I take time for myself. Like in a way, the terribleness of the world has given me some perspective on the precariousness of my employment. Like it's hard to worry about where I'm going to get the money for rent. It's hard to worry about that to the same degree that I was worrying about it when there are so many other things that are uncertain and unstable. Like the total amount of uncertainness and instability in the world has kind of strangely given me a resolve this year so far, 2017, to, to, that has allowed me to not, not sweat it, not, not 
frantically worry about things I can't change. And that's always the goal if you're an anxious person is to learn to not worry frantically about things you can't change. And in a way, this kind of global situation that we find ourselves in, uh, and it's been going over years. I mean, it's, it, there's no reason for it to kick in now. It, it, it's, it's been terrible for ages and the la- all these last two years, that terribleness has been a factor of making me feel worse. But at this moment, uh, it's, it's, I, I'm at a point where I'm like, whoa, there are so many other things to be worrying about, that to, to worry about these things that make my stomach feel like it's going to kind of explode inwards on myself and make me kind of not able to focus on anything but kind of the white kind of light of like uh panic the these things they they just seem so trivial compared to the the issues that are going on and so yeah i mean i guess i am gonna get try and get therapy through activism i'm gonna try and get therapy through art i'm gonna try and get therapy through friendship and wherever you are in your own mental health situation whether you're someone who needs to get help through medication or help through therapy or help through uh, other kinds of services and and processes those are also good ones i think to add into the mix like activism friendship art why not try those too and I guess that's my that's the thing I'm plugging at the end of this Getting Better Acquainted episode. When this goes out, I will be in the middle of being on a road trip with my dad and my little sister uh, to Bristol to take my dad uh, back to the places where he grew up. And my dad's 93 and it's been quite a lot of years since he was there last. So it's going to be really interesting following him around and helping him to do that and maybe recording some of that almost definitely recording a lot of that for this show. Uh, So that's coming up in future weeks, as it is the 300th episode of Getting Better Acquainted. That's also coming up pretty soon in a few months' time. While thinking about that season, I discovered that SoundCloud, who hosts Getting Better Acquainted, have a cap on episodes, so they don't actually let more than 250 episodes of a podcast be a part of the RSS feed. They're all available on SoundCloud. You can listen to the early Getting Better Acquainted episodes through streaming or you can download it directly on SoundCloud. But SoundCloud's RSS feed doesn't go back that far. So I think currently it's the first 74 episodes of Getting Better Acquainted cannot be found if you're listening to it through iTunes or Stitcher or any of the other places that podcasts go to get together on the internet. That gives me an excuse in future weeks to uh, re-release some of those early episodes. But I also wanted to let you all know uh, that they they haven't disappeared. They are still available. It's just you can't get them on the RSS feed, which is a shame. And if I'd have known about it or if I'd have been warned about it, I might have come up with a solution in advance, uh, but since that has not happened, uh, that's the situation we're in. Um, as always, please tell people about the show. It would be great to get more reviews on iTunes because that helps kind of push you up in this world of rankings and and, and statistics and all of that stuff. Uh, li- do listen to my other podcast, The Family Tree. Season one of that is out completely at the moment and you can find that at the family tree podcast.co.uk or anywhere that podcasts go to congregate on the internet we're in the process of working out season two and looking forward to giving you more announcements about that in the future i'm also co-producing a night of sex related true stories happening in london on the second 
Wednesday of every month at the Dog Star in Brixton called Smut Slam with the amazing Cameron Moore who created the format and hosts the show and is basically the brains and body and soul of that show. Uh, it's amazing to watch her work. I'm really just a facilitator in it. But the next Smut Slam is happening at the Dog Star in Brixton on Wednesday, the 8th of March. 7.30 doors open, 8pm start. Do come along. It's an amazing, sexy, funny, awkward night. It's it's great and everyone should come to it. And if you haven't heard my show, What About The Men? Mansplaining Masculinity, you can check that out at mansplainingmasculinity.co.uk or you can listen to it in its entirety on the Stand Up Tragedy podcast. It's the, the last episode of the Stand Up Tragedy podcast that I put out uh, in February twenty. 16 and since then there's not been anything else so it's very easy to find it's right there at the top in the feed the last thing i do on this podcast is to say goodbye to the audience so goodbye everyone you can follow getting better acquainted on twitter at gba podcast you can like it on facebook www.gettingbetteracquainted.co.uk is one place you can find it and remember there are lots of ways to get better acquainted